Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new Ultra Micro Diameter Injection Arrows. Injection utilizes the new Deep Six standard for more big game penetration than ever before. Learn more about the injection today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Editor Christian Byrne. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. I am excited because um, I have got somebody that uh, I can certainly uh, admire and respect and emulate as a bowhunter, and uh, you can too. Uh, I've got Tom Miranda on the line today, and uh, Tom is one of the most accomplished bow hunters really in uh, in history, Tom. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You've done an awful lot, and I appreciate you being with us today. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate being on the air. I don't know that I'm one of the most accomplished bow hunters of all time, that's for sure, but I sure love bow hunting, and I love getting out there, and uh, I've always told the uh, my viewers and in my articles that uh you know i love bow hunting and it's 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 just something that's in my blood and um, i like the the adventure part of it because i think uh, going somewhere i've never been and hunting an animal i've never seen makes me a better whitetail hunter yeah i mean you know I, i appreciate your humility but you know let's think about it for a second here tom for you know if we're gonna do rankings based on how many days someone spends in the field you're going to be up there near the top if we're going to do rankings based on how many places somebody has hunted all around the world you're going to be right up there near the top if we're going to do rankings based on how many different animals somebody has hunted in their lifetime you're going to be right up near the top and if we're going to get real down to brass tacks and say we're going to base the rankings based on how often somebody is successful whether that be through skill luck or sheer perseverance and force of will you're going to be right up near the top buddy so i hate to break it to you you can try to tell me all you want that you're not one of the best but uh whether we like it or not i think you're one of the best i appreciate that very much it's uh it's a labor of love and you just get out there and you just that's what bow hunters do you know you just don't quit and uh i've had a lot of do-overs in my day and uh do-overs are good because they uh you know they built uh, a lot of character in somebody and when you have to go back and go back and you don't give up and you don't use the guy's rifle it makes a it makes a a much better memory and i know when i sit in my trophy room and look at the animals i shot i'm uh, i'm really proud to be a bow hunter that's for sure yeah i mean you touched on something just uh that perseverance i always say that really to be a bow hunter Uh, at all you know whether you're a world traveler like yourself or just a guy who hunts you know whitetails in his backyard you have to be a little bit of a cockeyed optimist to be a bow hunter because the fact of the matter is on any given day your odds of success are not that great when you're hunting with a bow and an arrow and so there's something about us as bow hunters collectively where we have sort of an irrational optimism because no matter how many empty and fruitless days we go through all of us think, well, tomorrow's the day, you know, and so that's something that drives you, and it drives me, and it, and it drives everybody else, and uh, uh, you certainly need to rely on it as much as anybody with all of the expeditions that you've been on. Well, Christian, when I grew up, I was a trapper when I was a young kid, and uh, actually into my early adult life, but, uh, and trapping is one of those things where you have to work harder than everybody else, and every morning is like, 
Christmas morning, you don't know what you're going to get. And I think bow hunting is a lot like that because you have to work harder. I mean, it's bow hunting is a conscious decision to make the hunt harder than it needs to be. And you take that and uh, revolve it around the fact that when you get in the tree stand, you don't know if today's your day. You don't know if it's going to be a, a 130 or a 150 or, or, or the biggest deer you've ever seen come down the trail when you're hunting in different places. So it is like Christmas morning a lot of times on, on, on a bow hunt. And that can be part of the catalyst to drive somebody to, to get out there every day. And you just you learn every day. And the guys that understand that they learn every day are the guys that do actually get better. Um, you know, Tom, a lot of the people that are listening – may not know all that much about your background you mentioned you know obviously grew up trapping and, and that's where you certainly developed a lot of your woodsmanship skills um just the things that you've done um you know tom is one of those guys for those of you who may not know he has uh, really embraced some of the bigger mountains to climb both literally and figuratively in the, in the sport of bow hunting tom's very very active in um in hunting organizations like safari club international uh the grand slam club ovis and um he has um, gone all over and achieved numerous, numerous awards. Uh, again, I'm not asking you to brag on yourself, but just to give people a little sense, Tom, could you just throw out you know, a few of what you would consider to be your highlights of the things that you've been blessed and had opportunity you know, not just to pursue but to accomplish in, in your bow hunting uh, lifetime? Yeah, well... You know, back in the early 90s, uh, I got on ESPN in 1992. Chuck Adams had finished his Super Slam 27 Animals in 1990. And I got to meet him early in the, in the early 90s. Uh, he was actually uh, a hunter that was being sponsored by a company who was also sponsoring my show. And um, I learned about what the Super Slam was from him and, and listened to his stories. And it was something that I thought, gosh, you know, that would be really great to 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 do that but i never thought that i ever would and one thing leads to another and as you hunt you know it, it's like you don't earn a million dollars you earn one dollar at a time you know and it's like anything else you get one animal at a time and there come a point in my career when i looked and said gosh i've got 15 of the 29 north american big game animals maybe i could actually complete a super slam if i worked hard at it and so in a super slam is a collection of slams so there's you know there's three moose and you got to get all three of those to make a moose slam and five caribou and you got to get all those and the five different deer and of course the four sheep which is the hardest and when i got my fourth sheep i, I earned what's called the grand slam sheep and and so you know that ended up it took me 13 years 54 hunts uh to get the super slam and i was fortunate enough because of being a tv guy to have gotten all those on video and so i was able to have the first super slam on video and of course uh, other accomplishments you know, you, you, when you start doing international hunting, you start seeing a lot of things that are out there, like Safari Club International has what's called the World Hunting Award. Very few bow hunters ever reach it because you have to travel to so many continents and hunt so many different kinds of animals. And, of course, there's expense with that, and, and there's lots of do-overs on international hunts because they're, they're not something that, you know, you can really plan, plan for and scout for, and you don't really have a lot of time when you're with an outfitter and, Europe or in Asia, you're going to have four or five days max to get it done. And so it's, those are hunts are a lot of do-overs, but you know, I'm working on goals there and it's all, it's all good. I, I love doing it and I love sharing it with everybody on TV. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. And so you actually had mentioned too, you're working on, um, a new book and DVD. You had, um, 
you've done some in the past and you said you're working on a new one called adventure bow hunter dark continent so you're focusing on uh, some african stuff right now possibly as part of this uh, sci world hunting award tell me a little bit about uh, what you have going with that project yeah well um obviously all my hunts are videotaped for television and uh, when i finished my super slam i had to move on to something else and i'd hunted quite a few animals i I had done the elephant and rhino and Cape buffalo and hippopotamus, but I hadn't shot a leopard or lion yet. And um, and that would that ends up being what's called the big six, the African big six of dangerous animals of Africa. And I've done quite a bit of plains game hunting, but in order to get the 29 uh, animals of Africa, you've got to hunt some unique species. And so I kind of started going after that and was able to get all those animals and uh, get them all on video and, because my Super Slam, my Adventure Bow Hunter Super Slam DVD and video and book was so successful, I decided to come out with kind of a companion set in, uh, about Africa. And, and there's just so many cool things about Africa. I remember the first time I went, I didn't even really want to go because I just was trying to do more, you know, hunting in North America. And there's so many animals to get there, but I needed shows and Africa south of the equator. So you know, winter time is in the summer for us. So you could actually hunt in July and August over there. Long story short, I you know I ended up just loving it over there. I have my own bow hunting camp in Africa now, and um, take clients over there for hunting. And it's just a, it's an awesome place, and the animals are amazing. So um, you know, before we started the show today, we we talked briefly about some of these things, and you know, you made a comment, Tom. Um, you know, you were pretty blunt. You said, you know, quite frankly, I, you know, I, I try not to talk about all this international stuff that I do because, you know, it, it can be a little bit elitist, you know, like you say, because it takes the time and the money. And let's face it, most of us, myself included, I mean, we're never going to go do all this stuff. But the thing that, you know, I had responded to you and I'd like to get into a little bit right now is, um, you know, call it whatever you want. Um, the truth of the matter is you've got a, a wealth of bow hunting experience and there have to be things that you have learned through all the years of traveling around, all the animals that you've hunted, uh, all the animals that you've shot with arrows, um, you know, that have helped to make you a better deer hunter, a better antelope hunter, a better elk hunter uh, here uh, in the States. Um, so let's talk about some of that stuff. You know, I'm always curious. You have somebody as successful as yourself. Um what are the big takeaways, you know, as you speak with bow hunters around the country, as you go to uh, outdoor shows, as you do speaking events and that sort of thing? I mean, where do you think that so many of us are maybe missing the mark or maybe you found some things that really work for you and, and, and you encourage people to maybe take a different look at the way that we hunt, the way that we set up our gear, those sorts of things? Well, a typical typical whitetail hunter, at least in the east or midwest, is a is a tree stand hunter. They're going to be or in a ground blind, and they're going to be uh, pretty much of a passive hunter. They might rattle or grunt, but at the end of the day, they're going to set up in a spot and hope the deer comes out to the green field or comes down the trail. And what happens is when you get out of that tree stand, things really change. Uh, you have to become a little bit more stealth-like in your movements. You've got to really learn to watch the body language of the animals even more so than you do out of a tree stand. And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like uh, if you really wanted to not be a deer hunter in a tree stand and you want to do something else, instead of going on a really expensive or hard-to-do elk hunt, you might go caribou hunting because you're going to have a lot of chances and you can make mistakes and still have a successful hunt. And, you know, for a lot of the hunts that I've done, you, you 
go to places where if you want to be successful, you have to be very aggressive in your tactics, and you basically learn over a period of time of what it's going to take to get it done. And it's really a lot of problem solving. And I think you have to look at a scenario, look at the weather, and, and everything that's affecting your hunt, and you have to say, okay, it's foggy. You know, okay, we can't see as far, but we still got to get this Himalayan tar down with a bow. We got to find one, and we got to get close to him, and we got to get an arrow in him, and we got to get it done. And I think when you start thinking like that, you turn away from actually being a hunter, and you turn into more of a, a killer, somebody who's actually going to go out and they're going to get it done. They're going to have success at the end of the day, at the end of the hunt. And you don't always, but you have to be able to, to close the deal and you learn to think on your feet and really, you know, problem solve. And going on some of the hunts I get to go on, uh, you know, they're very difficult hunts and they're low success rates. And if you're going to have success, you've got to learn what your limitations are and you've got to learn to, you know, you've got to make a 60-yard shot. You know, a lot of people say, oh, that's not ethical. Well, today's equipment, you know, with today's equipment, 60-yard shot is, is not a big deal. If you can make it and then you can practice it and you can, and, and you've got the talent to do it. If you don't, then you can't make those shots. But if you do, then that's going to really increase your percentages. I mean, really, for every 10 yards farther you can shoot and make an accurate shot, it increases your chances 10 times of being successful at the end of the day. And Things like that, I think, is, is what you learn, that just the, the troubleshooting and, and doing, you know, really thinking about being successful, not just seeing the animal, but how can you get in range and get it done. So what's your best uh, advice for somebody? Let's say I came to you and I said, uh, you know, Tom, I'm pretty comfortable shooting out to 40 yards, but at 50 yards or 60 yards or anything further than that, you know, I just really don't have the confidence. How should I practice? How should I set up my training regimen to get myself to the point where I feel comfortable shooting at animals maybe at 50 and 60 yards, you know? Um, How do you go about it? You stack up six or eight block targets, and you never shoot closer than forty. You forty is where you start, you know. I mean, and that's and you and you concentrate on on getting your groups tight at forty. Then you go to forty five. You know, one thing that's helped me stretch my yardage a little bit is that I use odd yardage pins. So my pins, uh, I'll, I'll be like twenty five, thirty five, forty five, fifty five, rather than twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, and that gives you that extra five yards right out of the gate. Uh, that can help extend your range, you know, at least five more yards just from the practice side of it. So that's something to think about. Of course, you can't forget that when you're in the heat of battle. You know, you gotta, you know, you've got to have a system, and that's what practice does, the muscle memory and everything around practicing. You've got to get out and shoot your bow. You can't go wing 10 arrows and say, I'm ready to go to the mountain and hunt a bighorn sheep or dull sheep or stone sheep or try to, try to go on a, on a really tough elk hunt. You know, I mean, you're going to have to dial it in and like i said you know a lot of people had seen my elephant hunting and thought man that's crazy that's a big target isn't it the thing is an elephant's the biggest target but you have to it's like aiming at your garage door but you got to hit the handle you really have to think about killing the animal the body posturing the body angle and you've got to make the arrow kill the animal not just hit the animal and once you start thinking like that you become more instinctive in in how you, you get it done and I typically take the first good shot opportunity because I feel like I'm never going to get a second one. And a lot of guys will wait and end up having an encounter and saying later, man, I wish I would have taken a shot. Because if you don't shoot, you don't have a chance of getting in. And so thinking 
about that first good shot opportunity. I'm not talking about just winging an arrow, just saying, there he is, I'm going to shoot. But if he's at 45 yards and he's, he's relaxed and he's heads down feeding, I don't need him any closer. And I'm going to shoot him. You know, if I got the opportunity, I know that I can get it done. And that's, that's part of what turns you into being a killer. Mm-hmm. What about uh, some of the other things, you know, aside from just practicing at longer ranges? You have uh, a lot of different variables that I'm sure you encounter on these hunts, whether it's it's steep terrain, uh, it's weather, it's wind, it's it's cold. Um, how do you deal with all those things? Obviously, you know, like you live in Florida, you can't, and I know you mentioned, like, for instance, you're going on a muskox hunt here, I think, in another month or so up to northern Canada. You you can't prepare for shooting in like minus 50 degrees in Florida. So how do you get yourself ready for all these different variables? Well, what you have to do is uh, you have to practice with your park guy because you can't, uh, you have to understand that when you go to full draw, you're going to have that hood and all that uh, uh, cloth and clothing in the way. You have to think about all that. Yeah, you can't simulate the actual cold weather and um, and everything, but uh, you, you can at least dress for it, and you can practice for the shots. But, I mean, the reality is when you start talking about, um, you know, trying to get ready, I mean, you, you, have, to, you have to understand that, for me... Um, I would net, you know, the rule of thumb is you'd never pass an animal on the first day in range that you could, that you would shoot on the last day. So a lot of times in bow hunting, it can be uh, greed can cause you, you to, the greed of wanting a bigger or a bigger this or that can be something that can cause you grief. Uh, yeah, I don't want to shoot an immature animal, but to think that a 140 buck is going to, I'm going to be able to get a bigger one tomorrow or the next day. Of course, if I shoot the smaller one, I may never have the opportunity. But that being said, you know, if you're talking about success, you have to think along those terms. And I think gear. You know, I really, I, I, I practice with the arrows I'm going to use, and I mark those arrows. I might shoot four or five dozen arrows and mark maybe 15 arrows, 12 or 15 arrows to where these are the arrows that fly the best with the broadheads that I'm using. And these are the arrows that are marked to kill. And those are the arrows that I'm going to actually use. I have confidence in those arrows and how they fly. Because just an arrow you buy and just spread a broadhead on and shoot isn't always going to give you that confidence and it's going to fly the way you need it to fly. So that's another thing. And I've always kept my quiver off my bow. I always use a, a safari lane quiver on my backpack. Um, a lot of guys will take the quiver off their bow even when they get in the whitetail tree stand. But mine's always hooked to my backpack. But if I climb down with my backpack and try to stalk, my arrows are always there. You know, you come up with a system that works for you. And I'm an older guy, so, I mean, I like old boots. I like old camo. I like stuff that feels good. And, you know, as you, as you, you know, build your system as a hunter, you know, the things that work for you, you keep, and the things that don't, you throw away and you try something else. Let's talk a little bit about arrows and broadheads. Um, what kind of arrows do you shoot? Um, do you use the same arrows pretty much for all your hunts, or do you change the the diameters, the weights, etc., depending on what you're going after? Well, for for the most part, the carbon arrows that you shoot today, uh, you can shoot for pretty much anything. I mean, obviously, if you're going after dangerous African animals, you're going to want to have heavier splined arrows, thicker arrows, heavier arrows. So you're going to use arrows, arrows inside arrows, arrows filled with silica sand to get the extra weight but typically 
like I'm going to use a 100 grain or 125 grain broadhead, depending on if I'm hunting Alaskan bull moose or just whitetail. And, uh, you know, the same basic design that you'd use for whitetail, you can use for really anything in North America. Um, I might use a, a three-blade muzzy 125 grain on a bison or maybe an Alaskan uh, Yukon moose. But everything else, I might use a two-blade rage uh, broadhead. So, you know, you got to match your, your system to your animal, but at the same token... I don't have 19 different ways I do it. You know, I have just a couple, and, and, you know, I stick with what works and what's happened. I mean, I shoot Rage now. I'm sponsored by Rage. I think they're deadly heads, and I've had some fantastic success with them, especially the Rage Extremes. But that being said, most of my Super Slam was killed with Muzzy 3-blade 125 grain. So, you know, it's it's the Muzzies were maybe a little harder to tune, you know, because of the 3-blades and everything. I had to... Maybe out of a dozen arrows, I'd find five that flew the, what I thought was good enough to actually shoot at an animal out of 12, whereas with the Rage, I have a lot better success with that. But that being said, the muzzies are deadly and um, uh, definitely definitely work better on the heavier boned animals like like big moose and uh, bison. So those what, are some things with arrows. What kind of an arrow weight do you like to shoot, Tom? I try to keep my whole rig around 425 to 450. So that would be with the broadhead and everything. Sure, sure. <clears throat> and yeah, uh, yeah. that's a 28-inch draw, so I don't have a real long draw. I mean, I, normally in the day I was 28-and-a-half-inch draw, but I started using a string loop, and I still feel I feel more comfortable with a 28-inch draw with a string loop on, my, on, on the string. So that's, you know, it shortens your stroke, which makes your... You know, you don't get as much speed, you know. But, I mean, speed's not everything. But, you know, kinetic energy is, and so the heavier the arrow, you know, 425-grain arrow with my 28-inch, you know, out of most of the bows I shoot is near 300 feet per second, 275 to 300. That's pretty good. Yeah, what kind of a draw weight do you pull? Uh, I pull the max that I can get out of the Matthews bows I shoot, and it's around 72. Gotcha. Full fully tank down, it's usually about seventy-two pounds. Gotcha. Um, what about uh, you know things uh, like the bow? Obviously, uh, you've been shooting with Matthews, I guess, for a number of years now. And um, uh, what is it you know about today's bow uh, that uh, you know think really has changed a lot over you know i don't know how long you've been bow hunting probably more than a couple of decades maybe several decades um you know what do you see in today's bows that make uh you know certain things realistic that maybe weren't so realistic when you first broke into the game a lot of the the, the first bows that were out there i mean it's like not ta- i'm talking about compound bows not recurse and whatnot but the, a lot of them were pretty you know they they, they were pretty dramatic when you would actually release the arrow i mean it was almost like a train wreck every time you release the arrow just the amount of vibration and um just recoil and everything that went with shooting the bow and it seems like every year the bows just get smoother and smoother and 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 easier to shoot and more forgiving a lot of the a lot of the bows earlier bows especially they had you know really the brace heights were short and they were you know they were pretty drastic i mean uh, when I, when I started doing the dangerous game hunting in Africa, I was shooting a bow that Matthews made called a Black Max, and they would put 80-pound limbs on there so I could do Cape Buffalo hunting. And at Cape Buffalo, you have to have so many pounds of kinetic energy 
uh, you're using 800, 900 grain arrows and broadheads uh, with a, with a bow that's going to give you that extra poundage, you know, to get that extra kinetic energy. And the, those things were like, when they, you shot one, you knew it. And they're such a short brace height, it really, it was really just a dramatic thing when you fired the bow and really difficult to shoot accurately. And today, I mean, it's so much different. The, the bows are just so much smoother, so much more accurate, so much less less vibration. It's it's uh, it's, it's really a joy. And that makes the less vibration and the less drama you have when you release the arrow. Obviously, the arrow leaves the, the string clean. You're going to get the more accurate downrange. And that's another reason why a lot of these bows now you can make a yard shot without an issue yeah you uh i assume you're shooting the that new no cam technology for matthews this year is that right yeah i have a, i have the new bow i got it when uh when they first came out and um have not shot an animal with it yet but uh, i've been on a couple of hunts and uh just haven't really gotten a mature animal that i wanted to shoot and so but yeah and it's really smooth it's really nice of course every uh, bow. One of the disadvantages of bow hunter is that you've got to shoot the newest, latest, and greatest because that's what your sponsor wants you to do. And that's fine for Matthews because they, it seems like every bow is is better than the last. But sometimes, for me anyway, it's like I like the I like the old stuff, you know. So, I mean, there's a few bows that Matthews came out with back in the day that I shot a lot of animals with that I just loved. And, you know, that's one of the things that being a TV guy, you gotta you gotta just move on to the next one, and I guess that's good. It forces you to try new things and and be different. And I'm always been about that, but it's kind of I'm still wearing the same old boots I used to wear back in the day. So, <laughs> yeah, you never really. I mean, I kind of do the same thing, even more so actually, Tom, because being the editor here at the magazine, of course, we're not just sponsored by one bow company most of the major bow companies you know are are advertisers uh, in the magazines and and i have an opportunity to you know try several bows uh, minimum you know three different new bows maybe a year and i understand what you're saying because you know before you know before you'd get comfortable with that certain bow like you say and it's kind of like that comfortable old old flannel shirt you know and you could pick it up and yeah. you knew that feel and you kind of had an intimate relationship with it and so switching bows all the time it is uh you know it sounds really fun and i guess it is for a while but then you realize like you say sometimes sometimes it would just be nice but uh you know what we say you can't complain about that tom because no one would care you know we could complain <laughs> about that but no one would feel sorry for us <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I don't blame him. I wouldn't feel sorry for me either. Yeah, so I, I guess agree. we we better just keep on setting up those new bows and smiling, you know. That's right. That's right. Um, I got a question for you about shooting in the wind. I'm sure you 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 run into that a lot on these hunts. Do you have any little tricks or things that you've learned over the years on how you can kind of guesstimate where you need to aim for for crosswinds when you're at full draw? There's a couple of things. One uh, um, is the fact that I don't put a quiver on my bow, so you don't have that weather vane effect. And my bow's a lot. Uh, my bow's lighter, obviously, but it doesn't catch as much wind. Uh, if I use a heavy stabilizer, like a bee stinger or something like that, and I've got that extra weight out front to help stabilize it for the shot. But yet, I don't have that weather vane feel of a quiver on there, so that helps. Obviously, using any type of cover. Um, you know, getting behind rocks or something where you're out of the wind to help stabilize your bow is really important if it's windy, especially on a sheep hunt or something where you're going to have to make a shot. 
Another thing I've been doing that I think really helps, and it's, it kind of buffs a lot of the, 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 the old-fashioned thinking as far as arrows and that is, I don't shoot the weight-forward arrows anymore. I shoot the, a product called the um, Ape Tail, and it basically, I cut three inches off the back end of my arrow, and I put a, a ferrule in there and then an insert, and then I thread on uh, a three-inch um, aluminum piece that the, the, my uh, veins slide into. And what it does is it adds about 100 grain weight to the back of my arrow. So I, instead of having an arrow that's just a nice light carbon arrow with the fletching glued on the back and a knock, I've got this weight on the back with the fletching or the, the um, added in, and then I've got that broadhead on the front. So instead of having this really heavyweight forward arrow, my center uh, balance of the arrow comes back more midline. And I think what that does for me in a windy situation they have to kind of picture it, but if you see the weight forward arrow in a real windy situation, the tail is so light, if it gets caught in the wind, the arrow will skew. Now, your front might follow the, the right trajectory to hit the animal, but the tail of the arrow is going to skew off to the side, and so you're not going to have that full kinetic impact because the arrow might hit the target skewed, not not straight on. Whereas if the I shoot an arrow that's weight balanced, the arrow is going to fall. The, the weight of the back is going to follow the weight of the front, and it's going to fly a little more truer and more in a straight line. Even though it may have a little wind drift, and so in, if I'm if I, I'm in a windy situation, for example, with my arrows, and I got a 35 yard shot, and I'm and I'm got a good broadside shot, and it's let's just say the wind's blowing from the tail of the animal to the front, I might hold two or three inches farther back than normal when I shoot, but I know I'm going to get good penetration or pass through because my arrows are balanced instead of weight forward, whereas somebody else might shoot weight forward, they still would need to aim at least two or three inches back, same as I would, but when the arrow got there, the tail of the arrow might be even farther forward than the front because of the wind drift, and they're not going to get the same penetration. So it's, a, it's really cool if you look at them, and I've shot them quite a bit the last three years, and I really like them, and I get good penetration and good passes because of that extra kind of the hammer effect of the weight being on the back pushing the arrow through yeah that's interesting um you had mentioned a little while ago that you're an old guy or something like that and i'm not quite sure that you're an old guy and i don't know how old <laughs> you are exactly but uh, uh you know talk to me a little bit about being able to physically do all these hunts as you get older, uh, what you do to prepare. I mean, it seems like in the bow hunting community, you know, we, we kind of have a divide between the the Eastern guys, you know, the mid Eastern and Midwestern guys, the whitetail hunters, and, and, you know, the Western hunters probably look at those guys and think, oh, that's just, uh, you know, fat Bubba. He climbs into a tree, sits there and eats sandwiches. And then there's the Western guys and the Eastern guys look at those guys and be like, those guys are crazy. You know, they just, they're like Cam Haynes and they want to see how fast they can sprint to the summit of the mountain and hunt their way down before sunset or something like that. I mean, truly, what uh, what do you think is realistic? for what you know the average bow hunter needs to, to do and to be able to do to to be a successful hunter well when i was growing up as a kid i always played sports hockey and football and ran track and baseball and whatnot and of course you get into a, a groove back in those days of you know trying to stay in shape and lifting a few weights and running and i still continue to run um i, I run every day when i'm home it may be on a uh 
uh, a treadmill inside while I'm watching Fox News or something, or it might be outside if the weather's nice. Of course, I live in Florida. The weather's usually pretty nice down here. But, uh, you know, the other thing is that I do that a lot of people don't, and I think it really helps me, is I have a sauna at my house, and I get in the sauna when I'm home at least twice a day, and I actually use it as part of my workout regimen. And you get in there and sweat, it helps keep the pounds off, and it really it makes a big difference for me, and especially on the sheep hunts and some of the things that I have to do where you have to do altitude because here in Florida, I basically live at sea level on the Gulf Coast. And so when you go to places in, you know, New Mexico, elk hunting, or, you know, the, the mountains, the uh, Pyrenees in, in Spain, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, that, that those, those mountains can kick your butt if you're not really prepared for them. And staying in shape, I think, is really important. And eating right, you know, I gain a few pounds during the editing season, and when hunting starts, I really need to trim down. And, you know, I probably fluctuate 15 pounds, 20 pounds sometimes between editing season in the middle of the summer and actually the heat of battle. And, the end of September, you know, when I'm hunting in Yukon or Alaska or somewhere, and you need to, you know, you really need to be in shape. So you, you have to eat right, and, and and you have to do, you know, to do the right things. A lot of times you get going in these Midwest whitetail routine where you're going to these camps, and everybody's cooking a giant meal at 10 o'clock at night when you come out of the tree stand and get back to the room. And, I mean, it's easy to pack on the weight, and you just got to kind of think about it and just, you know, try to do everything in moderation and stay in shape. I mean, I'm 57. I mean, I might as well say it because we can Google it and find out. But, I mean, I don't feel 57. You know, I try not to look 57. I try to, I try to hunt like I'm, like I'm at least 35. You know, I mean, I wanna, I don't want to stop. And uh, so I got to stay in shape. Otherwise, you know, it might be a little slower going up the mountain than I used to be. But as long as I can keep up with my guide and. um a cameraman can keep up with me. We're going to get it done. Yeah, you ought to have a sponsorship from a sauna company, man. That was the first time I ever interviewed, like, a, a well-known hunter who gave me a sauna sauna endorsement, man. I'm going to have to get one of those. <laughs> it's awesome, I'll tell you what. I mean, I live in Florida. I remember when the contractor was putting it in. He goes, it's like 100 degrees here in the summer. What do you need this thing for? And I said, I use it to work out with time. I use it in the summer and the winter all the time. And it's just really, I mean, you run five miles on a treadmill and then you get the sauna for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, it, um, it'll, it'll turn you into a dish rag pretty quick. And I mean, <laughs> you can build a lot of endurance from doing that and then jump in a nice ice cold pool. And it just makes you feel better at the end of the day. So I like it. What do you think, Tom, about all the craze that we've had in the last, you know, decade or, or, so with all the the supplemental products the the vitamins the the additives the this the that the the you know the altitude uh stuff uh, it seems like you know anymore you can go into your local health food store and there's some kind of a pill or supplement or herbal remedy for anything um you know is that anything that are you into any of that stuff and if you are is there anything that you really believe truly works that bow hunters you know ought to consider taking advantage of i mean you know i mean i'm a gatorade guy and uh, you know i take my centrum vitamin in the morning i haven't gotten into a lot of that stuff i mean quite honestly you talk about five hour energy or some of these the monster drinks i've never even had one uh, so i'm not into that kind of stuff um more about just staying in shape and you know, maybe I'm missing the boat, maybe I'm not, but at the end of the day, it's it's just all about how I feel, you know. If I don't feel good, um, you know, I, I slow down, and sometimes I don't even go out, but most of the time I feel great because I just try to eat right and, 
I haven't been doing a lot of that uh, that extra stuff that you're talking about. I mean, I take my vitamins and I have my regimen. I guess is what I do, and I just haven't I haven't went with a lot of that stuff. I mean, I guess it's it's good for the people that do it. Of course, you know, there's a few Lance Armstrongs of the world out there too that got to do what they got to do. And at the end of the day, I think what I do works really well for me. And, um, so wait a second here. Is that was that an official Tom Miranda uh, statement that you have not? used any performance enhancing drugs in the completion that's of exactly what it is <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what the next one they're going to call you know is this next little drink that you take that you know give you the edge over somebody else and you shouldn't be doing it i mean i don't know i get it's so crazy anymore everything's got to be so politically correct it's driving me crazy well, you know what's funny is sometimes I, I actually joke about that around the office, you know, just, just in seriously joking, you know, I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to start doing steroids, you know, and uh, do you think truly, like, I'm not saying there aren't any bow hunters out there who do steroids for other reasons or whatever, I mean, do you really think that though, I mean, seriously, I'm I'm, I'm asking you dead serious, is there bow hunters out there, do you think that are, are using things to actually be like more effective bow hunters? I don't know, bow hunter wise. I mean, you know, the, our culture is different than some of the other athletic cultures that have a lot of money involved. I mean, there's some 3D talent shooters that make quite a bit of money, and I'm not saying anybody's doing that, but, you know, I think anytime you put money in, into the equation or prizes, I mean, I don't think anybody that's a bow hunter really looks as, I mean, they may look at their, their big horn chief as a prize, but I think it's more of an accomplishment. It's not so much a prize. And at the end of the day, I think that people that, where there's money involved in it, um, as far as prizes and things like that, I think that brings out the, you know, that brings out the baseball players and the football players and all that. That you know, they know if they can enhance their performance, they're going to make more money. And uh, I don't think that bow hunters are, at least the, in the culture that the circles that I run, they they're totally not into that stuff. Yeah, and we don't make enough money, most of us, to be able to afford it anyway. <laughs> and uh, That's what, it, it it'll be a sad day though when you have to like pass a urine test to put your white tail you in the open young book. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, uh, so Tom, what, uh, you know, obviously you, you've got some of these big international goals that you're working on, but you also uh, host Matthew's Territories Wild on the Outdoor Channel. You can't, uh, you can't fill whole seasons of, uh, uh, TV programs with just, uh, you know, warthogs and wildebeests. So, well, what else have you got going on? Uh, what should people be looking for here uh, on the show in the year ahead? I've been fortunate. I mean, a lot of people that watch my shows know that I'm an adventure hunter, and I work really hard on the trips to make it an adventure. Uh, a lot of, I mean, all of my shows, if, if they have a kill, it's only one, uh, typically only one, and Sometimes I don't even have a kill. It's just the adventure of being out there. And, you know, it's this year I've got the muskox hunt coming up. I got a moose hunt in the Yukon coming up. I got a fan and sheep hunt in the Yukon coming up. I'm doing another Ibex hunt in Spain. That'll be my fourth one there. I'm doing the chamois hunt in France. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing a lot of different stuff. Uh, yeah, I am trying to complete my, my goals, my World Hunting Award for FBI and I'm working on a, another uh, uh, goal called the Triple Slam that uh, the Grand Slam Club has, which is difficult. Only two bow hunters have ever accomplished it. And, uh, yeah, so those are fun things to do and try, and they're, they're very lofty goals, and they're things that you have to plan years in advance to be able to accomplish. And 
you just, it's like I told you earlier in the conversation, you just, you just do 100 at a time. You know, I try to do each hunt the best I can. And when that notch in the gun belt's there, you move on to the next one. Uh, last, uh, last topic. I'm kind of curious to hear since we were talking about the TV show, um, you know, again, this would fall in line with, uh, you know, the poor guy's got to set up some new bows every year. The poor guy's got to go on all these hunts to do a TV show. But uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure that it's not always the greatest thing, having a cameraman uh, over your shoulder. Uh, talk to me, you know, generally about, you know, what it, what about hunting for television do you think has, you know, helped or hindered you as a bow hunter? And maybe there's a couple particular anecdotes that you can recall of times when, you know, having a cameraman has been a blessing or a curse. Well, when you're a TV producer, it's a blessing to always have one because otherwise, you're not going. It's not radio, you know. <laughs> you got get, to get the hunt on video. But uh, the reality of it is, it's a boat anchor when it comes to hunting. I mean, really, having a cameraman um, with you is extra noise. It's extra scent. It's extra sound. It's extra things for the animals to see, movement, and the whole thing. Uh, I'm actually doing the, the keynote speech on Friday night at the Pope and Young Convention this year, which is in Phoenix in the middle of April. And uh, one of the, what my topic for that speech is going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's going to be mainly about what it's like to do television bow hunting, you know, all the things that you got to put up with. And, I mean, I can, I can tell you this. You know, I know when the wind changes when I'm on a stock because I can smell my cameraman's cologne, you know. I mean, that's when you know you've got, you got issues when you're when you're hunting. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of things. You can when, smell you know, his cologne or his bo because you've been in the mountains for a week. <laughs> yeah, it's just a joke. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you get camera guys and they're going to have cologne on. They're going to have the wrong kind of boots, and they're going to. It is what it is. I'm not down on camera guys, but it's uh, one of those things that you know, camera hunting for hunting. It's the reality is television bow hunting. It's not even really hunting. It's making a show. I mean, it is hunting, but it's not. I mean, you really have to think about, you know, the camera has to be rolling. You have to be able to know that the footage is going to be good before you make the shot. So a lot of times you're not even in control. Your cameraman's telling you when to shoot just to make sure that you have the footage. So that's a lot different than somebody just being by themselves on a stock. A lot of people ask me, you know, where I go hunting when I'm not on TV. Like, you know, what? Well, don't you just leave the camera in behind and go somewhere for fun? And I always tell everybody, I hunt so much. When it's time for me to have fun, I don't hunt. You know, that's my job. And so it, it's, I still love it. I love to hunt. But when it comes to, if I don't take a camera, man, I'm going to see Bigfoot, you know, yeah. or an alien aircraft so, is going to land so, somewhere so, near me. So. so tell me, like, tell me the most, like, mad you ever were at a camera guy because you you know you had this hunt plan for five years and you're on some mountain in like kazakhstan or whatever and like literally you know he moved and and you were like are you kidding me dude we're gonna have to come all the way back here yeah well i mean you know it happens it's I can remember on Carmen island i was trying to shoot my my slam and i was on a on a desert bighorn sheep hunt and it was uh, evening, we were actually walking back to camp, and we come over this rise, and there was a huge ram and a ewe together below us, probably 80 yards below us. And uh, it was evening, so the, the scent was going down the mountain, so we had to pull back real quick and work all the way around through the cactus to get around in front of these sheep and get the wind right. 
we got around and got in front and worked up there, and we come over just a little rise, and of course it's in the desert. There's a lot of sticky plants and thorns and things, and I had a uh, Mexican guide with me, and he was kind of beside me, and we went around this, up over this little rise and around this bush, and boom, there's this ram at 20 yards in the U. The ram doesn't even see me, and the U, the U sees us. I just cranked the full draw, and... And the next thing I whisper out of my mouth is talk to me, because obviously I'm waiting for the cameraman to say I'm rolling, I got it. And nothing, nothing, nothing. Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. Well, the review runs off, and the ram figures out we're there, and then my cameraman says, I can't see him, you're blocking me. And so I take three, I'm at full draw still, I take three large steps forward so he can get around. Obviously, he was blocked by the bush and the thorns and couldn't get around me, so he'd come around me. At that point, by taking the steps, the the ram runs uh, probably 65 or 70 yards and stops with his butt facing us and just looks over his shoulder. And the cameraman goes, okay, I'm on him. Take him. Obviously, I didn't have a shot. There wasn't the right angle. And uh, the ram got away. I ended up having to go uh, desert sheep hunting for 36 days in order to kill Al. So that was about, that was that was probably day 20 when I had a good chance. So it was a tough hunt. Wow. Yeah, so it's not all it's not all uh, glamour, right? No, no, it's work. It's definitely work. Um, okay, la- work. I told you that was the last question, but I got to ask you one more now because you mentioned like when it's time for you to go have fun anymore, you don't go hunting, which I realize is not completely true. Like you said, you still love hunting. So, but here's the the million dollar question: What else does Tom Miranda do when he wants to have a good time? I love spearfishing. Free dive spear fishing. I live in Florida, so there's lots of spear fishing opportunities. Um, I, I love uh, collecting books, old books. I have a large library in my house. I um, collect pirate and voyage books. I uh, books from the 1500s, 1600s mainly. That's what I like to collect. And I'll go to book fairs and antique shows and look for books. And uh, just cool because there's a lot of history in a book. And uh, some of these old books, just knowing who held them before you. I have some really nice old books that um, that are very rare. Some that are maybe only a couple in the world copies that are left from the olden days. And you have to understand a book's made out of paper. So if you got a book that's from the mid 1500s, it's um, it's seen fire, famine, flood. You know, it's uh, crazy. It survived. Most of the stuff that we get today in the mail or paper wise gets thrown away within five or ten years. You know. And this, these books are 400 years old, so pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty awesome. So, so uh, before I let you go, then I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to New Zealand next month for a red stag hunt. So I've got some long plane rides, and uh, you have a great book recommendation for me of something that I should read. You mentioned pirate stuff. I don't know if you're into that because you live down in Florida or what, but is there like a really cool pirate book that's not 400 years old that I might actually be able to get my hands <laughs> on and, and read on the plane? Yeah, also the ones that I've been into are old, old books and very difficult to read and worth too much money to take on the plane. But the, the, I mean, I like reading, I like reading the lone survivor type books when I'm on a plane, but uh, a lot of times i got to turn it I got to put Tom Petty in my ears and uh, run down a dream. That's what I like to do. <laughs> get some rest. Cause when I get there, I'm going to be I'm going to be going after it full bore and get it done. You'll have a blast in New Zealand. Great place. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, listen, 
Folks, that's Tom Miranda. The guy, he kind of like knows a couple things about bow hunting. He's killed a couple of animals. I mean, again, take you right back to where we started. Say whatever you want, buddy. Uh, probably be hard-pressed to find too many folks who have felled more critters with the stick and the string than you have. So uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm always, my ears are wide open when you're speaking because I know there's some golden nuggets of wisdom and things that I can pick up. Hopefully some people heard some things today that they can put to good use and be more successful out there. Sounds good, Christian. I appreciate it. Have everybody look for my next article on Peterson's bow hunting. Hey, man, we got to get you lined out, you know. Let's get some of those adventures in there. And uh, it's always good uh, to catch up. I wish you the best on that muskox hunt, uh, all the other things that you have coming up. And uh, just uh, glad that you're able to keep on doing what you do. Appreciate it, Christian. Enjoy New Zealand, man. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new ultra-micro-diameter injection arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.